Good morning. How is everyone doing on this really, really balmy Sunday morning? Great, isn't it? I mean, this is the weather that I've been waiting for. It is. I love it. I love it. Hey, did you guys celebrate on Friday? You guys celebrate on Friday? Nobody knows what the reason to celebrate on Friday was? It was National Donut Day. Did you eat a donut? No? Well, maybe it's not too late. Maybe you can eat one today. But you know, I saw something this past week that I really had to think about for a moment. The CDC, the Center for Disease Control, this government body that presumably is watching out for the health of all Americans, has issued a warning. Apparently, they felt it necessary to warn people not to hug and kiss chickens. I'm serious. Have you seen this? I am not making this up. You know, I guess that there's people out there that enjoy hugging and kissing filthy, dirty, feathered animals with beaks. Right? I mean, I don't get it. Now, if there was something about eating chickens, then I would sit up and take notice. Because, see, I don't hug and kiss chickens. I eat them. I believe that's what God put them on the earth for, is to be eaten, not to hug and kiss. Really kind of gross. But it seems that there are people out there that need this warning. And I've seen some other things these days that make me wonder as well, like these direct-to-consumer drug ads. And I know that you've seen this if you've watched any amount of television at all. These pharmaceutical companies, they create these ads to market directly to consumers, and they make it look like, you know, you take this drug and everything is going to be perfect again. You're going to be healthy Right? The sun's going to be shining. Everyone's going to be smiling. Your kids are going to love you. You're going to have this beautiful classic car to work on. Everything is going to be unicorns and rainbows if you take this drug. And then at the end of the commercial, they throw this in. Do not take drug X if you are allergic to drug X. And I think... Really? I mean, do we need to be told this? I mean, if you know that you're allergic to something, are you going to ingest the substance? I hope not. Regardless of how beautiful they make the results look, right? And remember, your results may vary. So here's my question. Do we really need... Reminders like this. Do we really need warnings like this? Well, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that, yes, we need to be reminded. We have to be warned about the realities of the world in which we live. Now, the examples I gave were maybe a little silly and seemingly unnecessary. But what's obvious to some may not be quite so clear for others. 
especially, especially when the culture around us is trying to rewrite what is true. See, friends, regardless of who you are or where you're at in life, there should be a constant search for the truth about what we are exposed to every single day. Thankfully, we have the reminders, we have the warnings that we need here in the Bible, here in God's Word. And one of the most beautiful reminders is found in Paul's letter to the Colossians. And this, this letter, it's, it's only four chapters, but, but throughout each chapter, every verse is just saturated with Jesus Christ and the gospel. And over the next nine weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to do a deep dive into this short but very important book. So I invite you to join us because there are reminders and warnings that we need today. So in this letter that Paul has written to this fledgling church at Colossae, we find two overarching themes. And we're going to see these themes repeated throughout our nine-week study. The first theme is this, the supremacy of Christ. Some translations call it the preeminence of Christ. And basically what that means is that Jesus Christ is Lord over all creation. Jesus is the Lord of the cosmos, the ruler of the visible and invisible realms. Paul speaks to this in verses 15 through 17 of Colossians 1, and we're going to dig a little bit more deeply into this next week, but let's read it here. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Friends, that's the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of Christ reigns over all created things. Now, the second theme that we see throughout the book of Colossians is the sufficiency of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ. Jesus, friends, is all satisfying in all matters of salvation and in life. All we need is in Christ. And I know that we emphasized this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the sufficiency of Scripture. If you were with us, you remember we talked about that. Jesus, friends, the Word is all we need. He is sufficient. And, and isn't it comforting to know that no matter what is going on in this world, no matter what, whether it's social unrest or this political up, uh, uh, upheaval that we see, natural disasters, wars, rumors of wars, you know, religious persecution, sickness, death, you know, even this global pandemic, no matter what is happening in the world or what is happening in our individual lives, friends, Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. But what we see in the Colossian church 
is that there were some deniers. There were those who said, no, Christ is not supreme, nor is Christ enough. See, false teachers had crept into and were infiltrating the church from within. And there were also external sources that were creating problems for the church from without. And when you consider the world in which we live, right, this, this post-modern era, this culture of tolerance and moral relativism, you know, when the world is trying to convince us that there are no absolute truths, friends, when you consider all of this, we come to understand that the words that Paul wrote to this church in Colossae some 2,000 years ago are just as relevant today. They're just as relevant today. And this is nothing new, right? This is nothing new. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent twisted God's words, right? The serpent twisted and manipulated what God was saying. When he asked Eve, he said, did God really say that? You know, is that really what God meant? And basically what he's doing is he's telling Eve that there's something more. There's some higher knowledge that you need to make your life complete. And friends, that is the lie that Satan's been peddling since then, and it's the lie that we face today. It's one of the lies that the Colossian church faced. So what do we know about this church in this relatively small and insignificant town? Well, we read about the story of the birth and growth of the Christian church in the book of Acts, right? We see this in the book of Acts. Luke does a great job of detailing the travels of Paul as he moves from town to town. And that was Paul's pattern. He would move to a town, he would raise up leaders, he would preach the gospel, he would raise up leaders, then he'd move to another town. And he would do the same thing, and that's what he did. He went from town to town to town planting churches. Until, until we get to Acts chapter 19. And in Acts chapter 19, we see a bit of a departure from this pattern as Paul arrives in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a huge commercial city. It's on the Mediterranean Sea. This is a huge hub of trade. And Paul arrives in Ephesus and he goes to teach at what is known as the Hall of Tyrannus. And the Hall of Tyrannus is a place where philosophers and people would gather to hear new ideas. It's the same idea as when Paul arrived in Athens and he went to the Areopagus and spoke to the philosophers and the Stoics there. Well, what Paul did here is he went to this Hall of Tyrannus and he taught there every day for two years, every day for two years. And he did this so that, as it says in Acts 19.10, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Again, we know by this time that Ephesus was this major commercial center in modern-day Turkey. It lies, again, on the Mediterranean Sea. And people would come from hundreds of miles around, hundreds of miles around to trade 
and, of course, to listen to these new ideas that were being taught at the Hall of Tyrannus. Now, one of the men that traveled to Ephesus and heard Paul's teachings at the Hall of Tyrannus was a guy by the name of Epaphras. And Epaphras was from this small town of Colossae, about 100 miles east of Ephesus. And, and, and Epaphras was just, he was just blown away by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was, he was just consumed by it. He was captured by the gospel. So much so that he went back to his hometown and he shared that gospel. And he ended up planting a church there in his hometown. And I, I just wonder who here today could be an Epaphras. Who here could be someone that just is consumed by the gospel of Jesus Christ so much so that maybe we don't go out and plant a church, but maybe you're the first in your family or you're the first at your workplace to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who need it badly. Could be, could be so powerful. Could be you. So Epaphras goes in and, and starts this church in Colossae, and two years go by. So it's two years later, and Epaphras now wants to report back to Paul and tell him how things are going with the church. But during that two-year period, Paul's been taken prisoner by the Romans, and he's been moved to Rome. So he's a prisoner in Rome. But Epaphras travels 1,300 miles to visit Paul in Rome. 1,300 miles he goes to report on the church. And, and he wants to make Paul aware of some heresies that are facing the church. And really these heresies came in the form of uh, two separate things. First, the Greek influence which challenged the gospel, and the Greeks promoted what is known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism, from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And what, what the Greeks were saying is that there's some kind of a higher knowledge that one must attain outside of the teachings of the church. And clearly that undermines the gospel, right? It undermines the sufficiency of Christ. So the other influences, that was the Greek, the other influences came from the Jewish culture. And the Jewish culture really challenged the sufficiency of Christ as well. The Jews said, yeah, Jesus, but, but Jesus is enough. It's Jesus plus, right? It's Jesus plus rituals. Jesus plus observances. Jesus plus works. And clearly, clearly that undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Epaphras travels to Rome to visit Paul, to let him know how things are going in the church. And Paul, in response, writes this, this absolutely beautiful letter to a church that he, hadn't, he didn't start and he had never even visited. And really what Paul does is he answers these two questions. Is Jesus supreme? 
and is Jesus enough? And along the way, he encourages the Colossians, and friends, he is encouraging us as well today to hold fast to the one way of salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So that's where we're kind of going to live for a little while this summer. So let's spend a little bit of time this morning looking at the first part of Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14. And I am going to be reading from the English Standard Version here. If you read from the New International Version, you follow along, you will be able to follow along. You'll see some differences in some of the words, and hopefully you'll understand why I prefer the English Standard Version here over the New International Version. So, Paul opens the letter with a pretty standard Pauline greeting. In verses 1 and 2, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So again, Paul writes this letter to the Colossians, even though he'd never personally been there before, yet he feels this, this pastoral responsibility to this small church in, in what is more than likely the smallest and least significant city that he's written to. He wrote the letter of Ephesians at about the same time. Ephesus, big, huge commercial center. Colossae, this small little town. Yet he feels a responsibility to them. And Paul writes this with the authority of an apostle, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So Paul is eminently qualified to write this letter of instruction to the church. And he, he mentions Timothy, whom we know to be Paul's amanuensis. You're like, what? Amanuensis, it's just a fancy word for scribe or secretary. Amanuensis. Use that one in casual conversation this week. People go, what? Yeah, see my amanuensis. You didn't think you were going to learn something today, but here you go. So Timothy is in Rome with Paul at this time, and he's taking dictation from Paul. That's how Paul wrote his letters. He dictated to uh, a scribe, and then he would sign the last line with his own hand. We'll get to that. And again, even though Paul had never been to Colossae, he prays a blessing on him. He prays a blessing on him, calling them faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And he prays grace and peace over them, the grace and peace that comes only from God. And Paul goes on to say in verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And again, you might find this a little bit surprising since Paul had never met these people, right? But Paul didn't have to meet them or directly know them in order to have concern for them and, and have them on his prayer list. I think there's something we can learn about our prayer lives from Paul here. He prayed for these people even though he'd never met them. And the prayers that he made were made in gratitude. Paul thanked God for these believers. Why? 
Why? Well, because, as he says in verse 4, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. This is huge right here. This is huge, okay? And Paul makes a point of, of, of mentioning these things here. There's two things that he mentions that he's, that he's impressed by. First, Paul talks about their faith in Jesus Christ. Their faith in Jesus Christ. And what that tells us about these people in Colossae is that they had their vertical relationship with God, with Jesus. They had their vertical relationship straight. They had it correct. And then that vertical relationship then manifests itself in the second point that Paul mentions, and that is then their love for others, for all the saints, for all God's people. And, and genuine faith and love for Jesus will always result in love for others. Just two greatest commands, right? Two greatest commands. What are they? Love God, right? Vertical relationship. Love others, right? Loving others follows loving God. And why, why is that? Why do the Colossians and us, for that matter, have faith in Christ and love for others? Why? Well, Paul makes that clear in verse 5 and into the beginning of verse 6. He says, it is because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. Friends, it is the hope that we have in eternity. It's the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ that compels us to have faith in Jesus. And then it demands that we love others. See, Paul heard that about the church at Colossae. And friends, that is what we want people to hear about Hope Church. We want people to hear that, that we have an incredible love for God, that we have incredible faith in Jesus Christ, and we have an abounding love for each other and the whole world. That's what we live for here at Hope Church. That's how we want to be known. Now, Paul continues in verses, the end of verse 6, into verse 8. He says, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. That's the gospel, of course. As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So, let's go back a little bit. It's been about 30 years since Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And the gospel now has spread from where it began there in Acts chapter 1, where it began there in Jerusalem, and it's spread into Syria, into Asia Minor, into Greece, into Italy, into Persia and Egypt, really throughout the world as it was known at that time. And just like the gospel had been bearing fruit in the Colossians, it had been bearing fruit all over the world for those who heard 
and understood the truth about the grace of God through Jesus Christ, which is what Epaphras had shared with the people of Colossae. Remember, Paul had never been there. Paul didn't plant this church. Epaphras did. Epaphras is the one who planted this church. And he did it on Paul's behalf because Paul's the one that shared the gospel with him. Paul continues writing in verses 9 and 10 and says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So here again, Paul tells the Colossians that he's praying for them, right? This time he says he's praying without ceasing. And he's praying for a couple of things here. And I really want us to zero in here. First, Paul prays that they be filled with knowledge. He prays that they be filled with knowledge. But not just any knowledge, no. No, remember the false teachers were telling the Colossians, that there was another kind of knowledge, right? A higher knowledge that they were seek to seek to attain outside of the church. That's that influence, that Gnostic influence that we talked about a couple minutes ago. So Paul prays for knowledge, but what he's praying for is knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom. He wants the Colossians and he wants us to know God. He wants us to know God, and he wants us to know what God requires of us. Any ideas on where we might find that? Any ideas? It's in the Word of God, right? It's in the Word of God. It's what we've been talking about for the past three months. It is in God's Word that we find this spiritual wisdom and understanding and truth that Paul's talking about here. So he prays for knowledge, but he also prays, and this is the second point, that this knowledge would transform us. And I know that, you know, you're going to say, hey, we've heard this before, we've heard this before, the knowledge transforms us. Yeah, but this is a spiritual truth that bears repeating. You know, we need reminders, right? Right? We need reminders, and the reminder is this. Knowledge, friends, is worthless unless it transforms us. It's useless unless it changes us. It brings about change. So that, as Paul prays here, we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and continue to bear fruit in increasing measure. And continue to grow in our knowledge of God. And how do we do that? What is it that brings about change? Nothing apart from Christ. Nothing apart from Christ. Paul tells us in verse 11 that we are being strengthened with all power according to His 
glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Friends, it is the strength and might of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us to meet all of life's challenges. We endure. We have patience. We overcome our problems with the power of the Holy Spirit. But we only enjoy that when we are walking with Christ. When we are walking in lockstep with His will. See, when we understand the truth of the gospel, we don't want to walk in darkness. We do not want to walk in darkness. We want to, as John says in 1 John chapter 1, we want to walk in the light as He is in the light. We want to walk with Jesus. This power doesn't come from man. It comes from Jesus Christ. Paul finishes this prayer. In verses 12 through 14, he says, He's giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So here, Paul emphasizes that it is God the Father who qualifies us for this inheritance through the work of Jesus Christ, His Son. It's not through anything we do. No observances, no rituals, no circumcision, no works. Lest anyone should boast, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. It is through Christ and Christ alone. Only then do we have that inheritance stored up in heaven. It is by faith in Christ alone. Christ is enough. And when we place our faith in Christ and we walk with Him, and we walk with Him in the light, we're rescued from the darkness and the sin that so easily leads us astray. And friends, make no mistake, the world is trying to lead us astray. Culture is trying to lead us into the darkness. We're not going to let that happen. We're going to walk with Jesus in the light because only then are we redeemed and have forgiveness by the Father. That, friends, and that alone is our hope in this world and for the next. We need reminders. We need warnings in our daily lives. And yes, there may be some who need to be warned not to hug and kiss chickens. But seriously, friends, as Christians, we need reminders like this from Paul. Reminders that make it clear that our only hope for salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. He alone is sufficient. as we seek knowledge and wisdom that comes only from the God of the cosmos, and as we walk closer with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we seek to model our lives after our Lord and Savior, only then, only then will we see 
in Hope Church what Paul saw in the Colossians. And that is an incredible faith in Jesus Christ, a love for God and a love for others. Friends, that is what we live for. That is what I pray for. And I pray with Paul that we would be that kind of church following Jesus and bearing fruit for his kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and, uh, and we praise you, Lord. You alone are our hope for salvation. You alone are our hope in this world. And Father, it is, it is my prayer that we would be a church that people would sit up and take notice and say, yeah, that Hope Church, man, they love God and they love others and they have such an incredible faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, that's how we want to be known. That's how we want to be known. And Lord, I pray that you'd pour your Holy Spirit out down on, upon us that we might follow you, that we might walk in your footsteps and bring honor and glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.